Hello everyone and welcome once again to the Cave to the Cross Apologetics where we uh, go out of the cave of Plato and understand that we were saved by the cross and that's the road that we're currently taking. Uh, I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, if you need to uh, get a hold of us on uh, any of the social media platforms, that's all included in the links below, but caveofthecross.com is our, our main site to go to and from there you can find us on uh, the YouTubes and the Stitchers and the iTunes and Facebooks and Whatever else is out there. Twitter, even Twitter. Uh, mostly I Twitter and make snarky remarks on there. So uh, those are places where you can go to and uh, check us out. Uh, but today we're uh, continuing on. Uh, for you, it's been a week. For us, it's just been a few seconds. And we're, we wanted to uh, get get the big the big push out of the way for presuppositional apologetics because uh, that's kind of our underlying model for, for uh, meeting as a book club. And we're inviting you along. Uh, but we're in the uh, yes or no chapter for Jason Lyle's Keeping Faith in the Age of Reason, and uh, we just kind of started out but in this chapter, but um, uh, we're going to continue on with, uh, with the questions. So uh, I think we're at uh, number 305. Yeah. <clears throat> this one says, can God do anything? Right? That's the question for this one. And then there are several passages that are listed that seem to indicate that he can and then there are several passages that are listed that seem to indicate that God cannot do anything. Yeah. So the issue here is, can God do anything? Right? This is the uh, the old classic, <clears throat> can God make a rock so heavy that he himself could not lift it? Or if you've ever watched The Simpsons, can God make a burrito so hot that he himself cannot eat it? So <laughs> it, it depends on which one you grew up with. I grew up with The Simpsons one, so that's the one. Uh, so there are a number of verses here that... Uh, make the claim that yes he can do anything and then also no um i think we're we kind of kind of assume because god is god that he can do anything and those are found in places like genesis eighteen fourteen. Uh, is anything too hard for the lord at the appointed time i'll return to you about this time next year and sarah will have a son obviously the the uh, uh the question is uh is uh, left unanswered because, of course, the answer is uh, no. There's nothing that uh, right. God cannot do. Right. The answer it's an assumption that no, yeah, God <laughs> can do anything. Yeah, right. and that's cl- and it's clearly made uh, when he returns and Sarah's pregnant. Um, Job forty-two one through two. Then Job answered the Lord and said, "I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted." So that seems like a pretty firm statement. That's straightforward, and, right? And yeah. Job Job should know. Um, but uh, in the book of Judges and Mark and Hebrews, it says uh, this for Judges one nineteen, And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain, because they had chariots of iron. Mark 6.5, and he could not, uh, he, uh, meaning Jesus, could do no mighty work there, except that he had laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And Hebrews 6.18 says, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. So there it says, it's impossible for God. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So it seems like contradictions, uh, at least on face value. Yeah, yeah. So the the, the issue that uh, Dr. Lyle here points out 
is uh, what he calls the equivocation fallacy, mm-hmm. right? So you're using the word in two different ways. Here. Yeah. Anything can... The, the word anything. Anything, yeah. right, right. So anything can mean uh, any actual thing that's logically possible, he mentions, or it can mean anything including hypothetical absurdities or contradictions, right? You know, like gobbledygook or supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> can God do that, yes. right? Yeah. Mary Poppins can guy yeah. can. Uh, th- things like uh, can you have a circle with edges so or a, a square circle That's is, yeah. is another one yeah. yeah a married bachelor there you go yeah, yeah. Yep. can God make one of those yeah right. All right. so the idea here is God can do anything notice that is logically possible mm-hmm. that's the idea right and anything that is in line with the, and that's consistent with his nature so you know can God do you know gobbledygook meaningless things uh, you know that don't have any me- you know a square circle does there is no there's it's a meaningless thing in yeah. the language right and so uh, uh, God cannot be inconsistent with his character his he is uh, reason is we reason because God is a reasoning person and so uh, he you know he doesn't do uh, uh, Things that are, number one, inconsistent with its character, and secondly, things that are logically inconsistent, that is, that they are meaningless, mm-hmm. right? So, no, God cannot do those types of things. So, right. things like miracles, parting of the Red Sea, the virgin birth, um, yeah, you know, uh, he, uh, healings, um, uh, you know, earthquakes. Um, yeah, so yeah. they violate the laws of nature, but they're not. Uh, meaningless or you know illogical type of things, right? Right. right. The, the, there is the ability for God to um, kind of uh, step into creation and and make physical changes, uh, hold the sun in the sky so that uh, a battle can occur for another day with with sunlight occurring. There's no logical contradiction there. Mm-hmm. We might say that it's impossible, but it's impossible in the sense that uh, these aren't the normal. Uh, of events that should occur, right. uh, but this isn't uh, God making a rock so heavy He Himself cannot lift it, um, or or uh, you know ha- having um, the laws of logic violated. The God, God can't uh, put a car out of the garage and have it be in the garage at the same time, unless if it's a trick of the light or, or so, something something with an explanation where it doesn't violate uh, how God thinks or how God acts like uh, or his in, character in he- Hebrews uh, 618 it's impossible for God to lie that's a great thing to know in fact uh, that's that's one of the, the big things that the judeo-christian God the biblical God has over let's say like the the Allah who is so above his own uh, word that he himself could violate it and so how do we know that salvation is possible um, in 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 how um, uh, Muslims claim that you reach salvation if God can at the 11th hour or right before you die or not tell you um, c- comes about and and we you know it, we were supposed to eat 12 chickens before you know we, we died so, yeah right. so yeah. F- for that particular religious tradition right God's will is is more uh, is the is the uh, operative thing. Mm-hmm. What the scriptures teach, the Bible teaches, is that God's character determines what He does, not necessarily His will. His will is just an outworking of him, what He desires to do with regard to His character. So God's character is that He is truth, right? God is truth, and so He cannot lie. So as a result of that, obviously. Uh, lying has to do with not something that's not truthful. God cannot do.
do that because his character dictates that, and so he can't violate his character. So we can trust, then, we, we know that God says, you know, if you believe, uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, we can trust him to keep his word when he says that. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So, uh, equivocation on the word anything. What mm-hmm. do you mean by anything? Does it mean anything that's just uh, anything, whether it's logically contradictory or whatever? Or do you mean something that is in principle possible to do? Well, in principle possible to do is what we're talking about here. You know, like raising the dead. <laughs> in principle, possible for God to do because yeah. He is all powerful. Yeah, or saving dead men to, to life. Yeah, I mean, the, bring people yeah. back. Yeah, bring people to to life because of the uh, His salvation efforts. All right, so that that's uh, so. Yes, God can do anything, or no, God cannot do anything, depending on what you mean by anything. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Uh, in similar fashion, uh, 308 asks, is God the author of confusion? Uh, Genesis 11, 7 through 9 and 1 Corinthians 1, 27 indicates that he is. However, in the same book of Corinthians, 14, 33 states he is not. Um, so 11, uh, Genesis 11 is about God coming down and confusing uh, language at the Tower of Babel. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 says, but God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what was weak in the world to shame the strong. Uh, the whole first chapter there is great, um, and I would actually say that's a presuppositional uh, a touchstone um, that I've actually um, taught on for, for chapter one, talking about um, uh, God God using the crosses as to, to various people as kind of a stumbling block, but um, choosing it so that uh, people don't just kind of um, think that they happen to stumble upon it. That's something that uh, has to has to happen um, within someone's heart in order to change them. But uh, that's getting off on a free sermon. Then there you go. Uh, but First uh, Corinthians fourteen thirty three, which is uh, what they're saying is is the um, he's not the author of, of confusion. States that or God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So, so in one hand, in the book of Genesis chapter eleven, God yep. confuses the language, and therefore He seems to be the author of confusion. But in First uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-seven, it says specifically, you know, explicitly that God is not the author of confusion. So, which is it? Yes. <laughs> Um, uh, Actually, that was First Corinthians fourteen. Fourteen is where it's, he's not a, yeah. a yeah, author, of author of confusion, right? So uh, Lyle <laughs> calls this the suspicious, specious reasoning, yeah. and um, goes on to say that uh, God clearly approves of order and peace, and um, I think that's clear from um, what we get from the Old and New Testament. Uh, but it does. But does this mean that God is not able to bring confusion or destruction to those who rebel against him? And we see this in a number of times, including uh, King David, where he allows Satan to go and um, tempt him into um, having a census that God didn't command. And so uh, there David was relying on kind of the strength of the will of the people to kind of puff himself up and, you know. Uh, yeah, the make, number of the people, yeah, the strength yeah, of the number. Yeah, yeah. Make, him, make him kind of be in awe in the number, which Gideon's story should tell us that, you know, you can have 300 Numbers guys. Numbers don't, don't matter, yeah, right? Yeah, they, they, really, they really don't. Um, so God uh, and any number is a majority, right? Right, right. Uh, Moses lifting up his hands until he, you know, needs help to hold it up, and that's what causes the army to uh, advance or, or retreat. 
Um, but just as God is a God of peace, he can bring war and destruction upon those who are evil. He can judge, and, and, and that's the thing. He, he's not only a God of peace, a God of order, but he's also a just God, a, judge, a judging God. And it, it's one of those things where it's, depending on what you're talking about, and it's not actually God kind of doing it himself. He's not going out there and, um, you know, uh, uh, um, taking the the armies and and throwing them at them. He's he's decreeing it by by his own um, his own declarative, declarative nature. But it's uh, within the context of uh, uh, people's actions that they would want to do. So that's why he's able to uh, judge the Assyrian, uh, use the Assyrians, and also judge them mm-hmm. because uh, the. Uh, the Assyrians would go out and, and attack the, the, the people of God and put them into subjection. Yeah, good. So is God the author of confusion? No, he's not. No. no, but he's able to bring it about through various means. Okay. Um, the next one is uh, 3.11, right? Yep. All right. So here's this is kind of an interesting one, and this is one that should be familiar to, to all of us here. Uh, and most of us would would have a ready answer to this, sure. one, right? Yeah. The question here is, how did David kill Goliath? Right. So think about that. How did David kill Goliath? Right. Well, notice in First Samuel seventeen and following, it says that David killed Goliath without a sword. But in First Samuel later on in the in the uh, chapter, just a verse or two later, it says that it says that David killed uh, that David did so with a sword. So. How did David kill Goliath? Right. Well, and I was just reading my daughter, the story of David and Goliath, and it ended at, and he picked up the stone and threw it at Goliath, and that killed Goliath. And I had to go, wait, I read something about this. <laughs> yeah. And it was actually, right, it's, it's. I mean, we're, we're in the same chapter, we're a verse later, and, yeah, so and this is an odd, odd thing. So starting yeah. in verse 49, it's the familiar story that we kind of all know is that David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it at the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine. So again, uh, this is verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Because why? Because he was... Because um, he had uh, stones he, and a sling. He, he, <laughs> but, and Saul even tried to give him his own you know, shield Armor and sword, and, yeah, and it was yeah. just too heavy for you know, this Yeah, that's you know, not what he was kid. used to, right? Yeah. yeah I'll yeah. fight in my own way and he, not your yeah, he, clunky he, stuff. He right? killed a, a lion and a bear and saved the sheep just from, from his sling. Uh, so there was no sword that he had, but th- then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, killed him, and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw the champion was dead, they fled. In fact, um, uh, I forget where else it talks about, but um, the the sword actually is is hung up in David's house, and it's kind of a yeah. a, a well known conversational piece that David <laughs> has when he when he has people over. Right. So so technically, we would say, in fact, what the scriptures seem to indicate is that he put Saul, he put uh, Goliath down with the with the mm-hmm. stone, right? With the, but then the the cutting off of his yeah. head was when we say he was he killed him. Right? If if you were being fair, you could ask this question and say, well, it seems like in verse fifty it says it struck him and he killed him. Uh, where then a verse later it talks about him cutting off his head with a sword. Uh, but I, I I don't honestly think that this list of questions is being uh, uh, generous with wanting uh, the answers that uh, 
that's there. But it's it's uh, this pause in verse 50 that says, So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. It's kind of a, a, a new thought to kind of summarize what the what the, the, the events took place in summary and then adds um, at the very end, you know, h- how the final uh, death knell came right, to Goliath. Right. So he, he hit him with the stone. And he went to the ground. That's what verse 249 says, mm-hmm. right? And then verse 50 then is a summary of everything that happened, right? He hit right. him with a stone and struck him and he killed him. And then the rest of verse 50 and verse uh, 51 explains how he killed him. He killed him once he put him down with the sword. Mm-hmm. Right? It would be like pausing in a story and say, uh, oh, so uh, uh, David slung the rock, and that's all that killed him. Well, let me tell you the rest of it. He actually picked up a sword because he didn't have one, and and cut off his head. Right, so right. it's kind of a a, a a pause within the story, and then uh, the summary. Right. So Lyle suggests that to say that this is a contradiction is specious uh, reasoning, yeah. right? And he says the order in which events are mentioned is not necessarily the order in which they occur, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why we see this distinction here between 50 and 51, right? right. And also let's stop uh, equating us with David and our problems with Goliath. And let's understand that David is a precursor to Christ and we need to stop writing books about how we have to slay our giants in our life. Let's, <laughs> let's just stop with There's way too many of them and they're all awful. <laughs> yeah, and, and we have a problem. Uh, do we pick up stones or do we pick up swords? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right, um, 312. What's that one? Uh, so it kind of goes back to our earliest ancestors, Adam and Eve, and asked the question, did Adam die on the day he ate the uh, he ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Uh, 2.17 says yes of Genesis, while 3.6 and 5.5 5 say no. Um, the, the, the main uh, crux to the, the confusion here seems to be from Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Uh, and then afterwards, we, we understand that, uh, that they eat of the, the fruit of the tree, and that Adam lives to a ripe old age of 930 years old, and then he dies. So what's going on here? He ate from the food, and he didn't die. Sure, surely he didn't. Yeah, yeah. And, and don't call me Shirley. But. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> so Lyle points out here that this is a failure to read the text carefully, right? And and he says this is a common state. The Bible not only uh, does not actually state that Adam would die instantly or on the day; it right. just says in the day, right, that he would die uh, when he ate the fruit. Uh, and so uh, the word Shirley here. You're surely, you you so surely die, he points out, is an important qualifier. And it's a good way to translate uh, a difficult Hebrew fa- phrase, which is most literally rendered, dying you shall die. Yeah. Dying you shall die, right? So, the, yes, the Hebrew word die is used twice, indicating the certainty of it. It's not the death that would occur on that day, but rather death became certain and unavoidable on the day that he ate. So this, you know, again, on the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Dying, you shall die, right? Mm-hmm. So what, one way to explain this, and I think a good way to explain this, is we might say that in terms of sp- spiritually, he died. 
and then f- later on, and and t- and he physically he died. Yeah, th- there were many many changes that resulted yeah. from the fall, yeah. f- physically, emotionally, spiritually, yeah. and obviously, yeah. uh, all all those things. I mean, the the entire. Uh, uh, creation groans out because of that simple act that changes everything. It turns, uh, you know, um, uh, plants from, uh, you know, having no spines to, or, uh, you know, spindles and, and thorns and everything like that. It turns uh, plant-eating-based animals to carnivores. I mean, it it, it causes people to deteriorate. It, mm-hmm. it, that they're in the process and the of earth dying. to deteriorate. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a sad fact to say. When uh, you know children are first born, they're starting their life, but at the same time, they're starting their their death march because yeah. uh, ten out of ten people don't get out of this world alive, and yeah. uh, we shouldn't take it that seriously then. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the idea of, of dying it has to do with separation, right? Physical death is the separation of the kind of the spirit from the body, right? They're ripped apart mm-hmm. in spiritual death. That's what makes it so you know agonizing. Spiritual death really. Adam had a certain type of relationship with God that then was ripped apart, you know, as a result of this mm-hmm. particular uh, sin. And so he died spiritually, we might say, immediately. And then it, we see the consequences of that in his physical death later on. Yeah, well, and, and we see kind of the, the, the reverse of that, but in the same tearing that we see when Christ dies, the, the veil of the temple which is kind of the, the separation between man and God being torn from the top down. So there you even have a, a, a running of, of the separation that occurs in Adam, but instead God takes death and rends it out of the hands yeah, of Yeah, so he, so he destroys happens. that separation, <laughs> right? He rents it apart, and now he allows us to have that same kind of relationship, the spiritual relationship yeah. that Adam had originally. Mm-hmm. We're allowed to have that as yeah. a result of uh, the sacrifice of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- th- there's a lot of good parallels that um, that we see, and uh, I was just reading uh, a good book by uh, G.K. Beale talking about um, uh, the sh- showing. Here's the, the the job that Adam did in in the um, in the garden, and what that meant as him, you know him being the first priest and. The first, uh, you know, kind of gardener, and 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 uh, what what that all meant, and how Christ comes to fulfill it. It was a really uh, interesting read. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And so and so, um, Lyle points out that um, Adam's death was assured on the day that he ate. Perhaps he says a good paraphrase into modern English would be, "On the very day you ate of it, you will become mortal, mm-hmm. right? And so therefore, you will eventually die, right? Something like." So, no, no contradiction there. Sorry, critic. All right, 316 says, is the next one that we want to take a look at here. Um, Number 316? 316, right? That's right. And it says, um, does God desire animal sacrifice? Well, yes, right? According to Genesis 4-4 and various other passages in Genesis, as well as passages in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Yeah. In fact, you know, most of us always say, well, how? that's clear, you know. <laughs> However, no, God does not uh, desire animal sacrifices. According to passages in the book of Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Micah, and Matthew, so which is it? Does God desire sacrifices or doesn't he? So it might be helpful for us to at least be familiar with some of these passages so that we can understand what the what the issues 
Yeah. Uh, so clearly, uh, when when uh, Moses came about, uh, saved the the Hebrews, uh, he's given the the ceremonial law in order to um, uh, have uh, blood sacrifices, animal sacrifices, um, and and those are why he references Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, because that's the giving of the law. And so um, I won't read that because those are kind of the known ones. But as far as the no portion of it. Um, a number of them uh, stood out as, uh, as um, interesting. Uh, Psalms 46, uh, in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Uh, Isaiah 111, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says Yahweh. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fats of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. It seems like he's not liking uh, the sacrifices there. And uh, skipping to the New Testament, 9.13 of Matthew says, Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Yeah, so what's going on here is uh, clearly uh, sacrifices God uses as a covering for sin, right? The wages of sin is death, mm-hmm. right? Without the, um, without so without the shedding of blood, you know, uh, sins can't be forgiven. And so, sacrifices was a picture of what he was going to ultimately do with the, with his son Jesus Christ. So he uses those as a covering for sin. And so, yes, we might say he he did desire sacrifices. He commanded sacrifices. In fact, that's the uh, the point that Lyle makes here. He says, failure to read the text carefully. God does not desire animal sacrifices in itself, right. right? But as a way, uh, rather, he delights in obedience and right motives. He gave the Israelites ceremonial laws regarding animal sacrifices to teach them about blood atonement and to foreshadow Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? So so that's the idea. Now, one thing that we want to clear up here with, is with regard to the various laws that we see, especially in the, New Te- or in the Old Testament, right? There were ceremonial laws that had to do with how they were to worship, and often these were, uh, uh, you know, as he says here, foreshadowings of Christ. There were civil laws and there were moral laws. The civil laws was for the nation of Israel as a theocracy, how they should be governed. So that's different from a ceremonial law, mm-hmm. right? And, of course, there was the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments, um, how they were to, um, uh, the standard for right and wrong, right? So those are the various three, at least three kinds of laws right. that we are aware of when we look at the Old Testament. Right. right. So when you have questions like, oh, do you still eat shellfish or pork or do you uh, um, have clothes with mixed fibers or, uh, you know, th- those those type of questions that people kind of like to throw out, it's a failure to distinguish between different types and it's ceremonial law uh, uh, that, um, or, or uh, some of them uh, tend to, to fall into um, civil law as well. Uh, I, I, you could probably um, have argumentation depending on what exactly you're talking about. Uh, the moral law tends to be, yes, th- those those things that won't change, those things calling uh, murder uh, wrong or lying or honoring your parents or right. taking God's name in vain. Those are the things that, uh, you know, uh, that aren't dependent on time or place where the other ones are. And that's where you have kind of the the um, bigger benefit of Christianity from 
um, especially modern day Judaism, is uh, the ceremonial laws um, point towards Christ. And so we can look back and say, um, these sacrifices here point towards Christ's atoning sacrifice here. And uh, there are definitely a number of uh, books out there that, that um, help you see Christ in the Old Testament. And w without that understanding, you have modern Judaism turning things like um, the coming Messiah uh, and, and it being, um, you know, the, the savior of the world and uh, an atoning sacrifice uh, taken out of kind of context. And instead they put uh, Israel in, into itself. And so it tends to work bad hermeneutically, but uh, it's kind of a, they, they're still waiting patiently for Messiah and you don't have too many uh, messianic uh, uh, Jews still around, although uh, the, the way that they kind of work it into is by saying, oh, it's the Messiah is just this bigger symbol for, for Judaism. Yeah, right. So God, so so the question is, and then God, um, did he uh, desire the sacrifice, animal sacrifices? Well, yes, but that was a, you know, that was a precursor to Christ. It was a foreshadowing of Christ. And when they did them improperly, because what he really desired was their obedience, worship right mm -hmm. when they did those improperly then of course if they did them with wrong motives or ways that were contrary to his word then he didn't want them to do it right and understanding too that israel was supposed to be this a set apart separate people so that's why you have things like don't make any cuttings of flesh in your your um your skin because that's what pagans do or you know don't worship in the high places because that's what the pagans do or don't make sure uh, uh clothes with uh different fibers because it was it was that Drastic separating yourself. Don't and, offer your kids to mullet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's a big one too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you uh, if you continue to do that, which unfortunately they did, uh, you tend to run out of, uh, of generations. <laughs> and so you you have everything pointing to um, a, 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 a future sacrifice in Christ, but also a future people. And that's why you have uh, the Book of Romans talking about how you know not not everyone who is of uh, the tribe of Abraham is is a, a, a true um, follower of God. So yeah, that, yeah. that we're called to um, we're called to be that separated people apart from the world, and that's I mean that's clear in the letters of Paul. So and, um, and then the other question is why don't we sacrifice this today as a command? Well, because Christ, Paul says, is the end of the law. Mm -hmm. right? In other words, he fulfilled the ceremonial portion of the law. For yeah. Actually, he fulfilled the moral standards of the law so that he could yeah. be the perfect sacrifice for us so that um, his righteousness now can be attributed and counted unto us as righteousness. And our sin was put on Christ on the cross. And so there's, there's this transaction that uh, we as believers partake of when we trust what God accomplished in, in uh, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Yeah, right. yeah. So it's important. It, it's one of the reasons why we can't uh, do what certain modern preachers do and want to divorce the Old Testament from the New Testament because, I mean, so much of it the is dependent on the Old Testament. You have, um, you know, things like the the, the words of, of the apostles uh, going back to the Old Testament. You have, um, you know, uh, the, the, the letters from... Uh, Paul speaking so much about Old Testament and using Old Testament words. I mean, even even the Romans road that most people kind of know, most of those verses are just lifted out of the Old Testament yeah, and are yeah. supplanted in in in, in uh, Paul's big um, big doctrinal statement in yeah, Romans. So yeah. so we can't divorce, uh, you know, the what 
people would think, oh, here's the trip up questions. Well, mm-hmm. no, we, we can't do that because it's not, it's not two different gods like certain people claimed and are heretically claiming. And we can't divorce it because it's part of the history that leads up to the point. Uh, it, it shows how people um, were saved by believing in the future coming Messiah in the Old Testament. That's how the Old Testament saints were saved. And so we look back upon the cross and say that that one sacrifice, Christ died for um, all those who would believe in him. And so uh, that that uh, ultimate point in history is is phenomenal and um we can't we can't uh, just th- throw the the baby out or the bathwater because they're all they're all important even though they're a little messy and muddy and they um don't always put people in the the appropriate light but uh that's a good thing because then i can not feel so bad for myself when i don't live a perfect life and yeah, yeah. i can then uh fall Confess it, yeah repent from it and yeah. Uh, yeah realize yeah. that yeah it shows who, who i am uh, who I would be without Christ. Right. Worse. right. Yeah. All right. Well, we are, we're getting on here in, uh, yeah. in our time here. Do we want to try to tackle one more before we call it a day here? Or do we want to? Um, um, so I, I think we can probably leave um, leave the next ones for later. I think okay. they'll they'll fall right into the yeah. to the next ones. So um, uh, we thank you for joining us on uh, this one. And, uh, I believe this is, uh, let's see, episode 14. Yeah. So, uh, cave to the cross.com slash EPs one four. And then of course, all the links, uh, below will tell you where to get, uh, everything else. So thank you and uh, thank enjoy you. your week.